0: Hello, falava. You're listening to Tangata O Te Moana from RNZ Pacific. I'm Susana Suiswiki. Coming up first, we learn about digitising tapa from around the Pacific. Also, it's incredibly important so that we can make sure that our identity is solid. Wellington's Pacifica community showcase their cultures. And later,
1: our aim is to be in the top four, and our target was to win this comp.
0: The captains of the Pacifica teams in the Super Rugby franchise are confident they can go far in this year's competition. Over in Wellington at the Te Papa Museum, the imaging and collections team are spending the next few weeks photographing numerous large tapa cloths for an upcoming publication. The digitising process of tapa, which have come from all over the Pacific, is a delicate and time-consuming project, but the benefits include accessibility and preservation. Joining me to talk about the tapa Digitization project are Te Papa Museum's collection imaging managers, Michael O'Neill and Grace Hutton. Kia to you both. Can you briefly explain what the project is
2: all about, please? The project is... Uh... Was, initially, was initiated by um, a publication of, uh, for Topper Press that's coming up in about um, a year. So it'll be in the Christmas hamper for next year. Uh, so they are after uh, 100 tapa to be shot for the book itself. And the last time they were shot was probably over 20 years ago. Um, and so that's why we're reshooting them all to really high qualities for um, two purposes, that book uh, and for our collections online.
0: How long will this project take? When will you complete the entire process?
2: Uh, so the shooting itself is going to be four weeks. Um, and then there's post-production for us. And that's another probably couple of weeks. So it'll take us around six weeks to shoot uh, approximately 100 uh, topper. Um, the truth is behind all of that, the actual uh, Rolling and unrolling and the care that's required to give the collections is probably the bigger part of the actual equation. By the time we've set ourselves up for the shooting, um, we can shoot a, a topper itself in um, 15 minutes, for example, but it takes longer to actually retrieve it from the collection store to roll and unroll it and get it ready. Um, and just do general um, collection care while we're at it. like We remeasure, we check... Um, Uh, condition of the objects, et cetera. And that's probably, you know, it's an equally important part of the process. Because the uh, tupper is so big, uh, we can't shoot them in a single image. So we have to um, approach it in what we call an XY uh, digitization process, where we take multiple images of an object. And to do this, we have to actually build what we call a gantry or a metal framework over the tupper itself that's on wheels and this holds the camera about two metres off the tupper itself. And then the camera slides back and forth between the stands either side of the tupper. And then we'll take a row of images, which might be, as I say, five or six. And then we'll move the whole stands, the whole framework or gantry down um, a smidge. And then we'll take another row. And we'll do that until we've finished um, the the whole tupper itself so for the natu that we shot last year i think we shot about 75 images um, for a single um natu uh, and then we stitched that all together in bespoke software uh, which generates one super high res image and as i say, the quality and size of these files is something outside of the ordinary it's really pushing the boundaries of um technical capabilities of our software internally etc but it's um extremely rewarding but it's also a kind of a do it once do it right approach
3: and it's where we need more people not just me <laughs> so I have an intern at the moment who's helping and Mike has a team of um, two other three other photographers that can also help to for me to um, roll and unroll because without them it'd be some of the big Tupper that we have I can't remember the Size of the biggest one we had so far, but it's too hard to do by, by
0: myself. Why was there a need to digitise the tapa and put it towards a publication?
2: Uh, so that's scholarship, first and foremost, and we've got curators who want to um, write about tapa, about the history of it, about the process, the identity of it, you know, why it's used, you know, the value of tapa, etc. So scholarship drives a lot of what we do. Uh, and then behind that, we want to digitise things. Uh, so we we... Focus on putting out high-end publications, so we try and get the best images we possibly can for it. Um, And then uh, we also focus. So the 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 double bonus of this is that we get to release these images to collections online. And the way that we image them now is we um, we image them in sections, Uh, so we don't image the whole tupper in one hit. We take small chunks of of the tupper, so we might take thirty or forty images of a single tupper and then we stitch them together so that we've got a super high-res zoomable images on our collections online, um, which is actually, um, you can almost see more in that than you can with the naked eye. So um, when they're available in collections online, you'll be able to zoom into the level of the uh, the uh, threads itself. You'll be able to see the makeup of the tupper. Um, so that helps all kinds of, you know, researchers, um, again, scholarship, um, and just makes the public. Uh, able to access collections, which they just can't. Generally, I mean, these things are wrapped up, um, tucked away nicely in our collection store, and they um, they don't come out very often. As you'll know, that uh, there's only ever a small percentage of our collections ever on display.
0: Just while we're still on that topic, I mean, how do you ensure that this particular project doesn't diminish the value of seeing or holding the tupper physically?
2: That's a very good question. <laughs> do you want to go, Grace?
3: I, I don't think it does and and of course we will always get researchers wanting to come and see the real thing and that's, we do make them available but for example we have a 25 metre long, 6 metre wide uh, nato that is just too big to bring out in, in, for researchers so these ones that we can are doing are available to be accessed much easier um, and if they can't we will certainly let um, researchers know. Um next week there is a researcher coming in wanting to see Tapa uh, Natu from Tonga, and I'll be able to, with help, bring out two of the rolls, two two meter long rolls, so that she can actually see the um,
2: Natu. so that's the reality there is that some of the ones that we have shot, um, Grace is alluding to a project we did this time last year where we shot uh, extra long uh, Natu, so up to 27 metres long, they're just not visible very often. I mean, they don't come out onto the floor very often at all and you just can't unroll those sort of things. So this is the only way for the public to see them on a, on a uh, accessible basis. <laughs>
0: Wellington's Pacific community came together to honour their rich cultural heritage at the annual Wellington Pacifica Festival last weekend. Pride and passion for Pacifica excellence was on full display down at Waitangi Park. Tiana Haxton was in Te Whanganui Atara for the event. <laughs>
4: Over 15,000 people come together every year for the Wellington Pacifica Festival. With sights, sounds and flavours evoking the essence of the Pacific, participants embarked on a journey through the diverse island nations of Te Moana Nui o Kisona, the event's MC, emphasised its significance in maintaining cultural ties to the homeland.
3: It's incredibly important so that we can make sure that our identity is solid and we can do that by surrounding ourselves with people who identify with our same culture to ensure that we are continuing our Pacific traditions and cultures. So, amazing.
4: Representatives from Polynesia, Micronesia and Melanesia showcase their crafts, cuisine and captivating performances underscoring the significance of the Wellington Pacifica Festival. Tejo of the Solomon Islands community says while maintaining connections among Pacific communities at the festival were important, it was also an open invitation for people of all backgrounds to experience various Pacifica cultures.
1: It's a day where we come and then share our cultures with other Pacific countries too, uh, and then to share it with the whole Wellington
4: community. Youth involvement in cultural preservation was emphasised by Teho, who expressed pride in seeing different generations unite on stage.
1: Seeing our new generation and the older generation together on the stage is just really amazing. It, it, it means a lot to us. Echoing
4: similar sentiments, the Porirua Salmon Methodist Youth Group
1: says having family
4: support at cultural events was special. Yolini Ayono led a team of first-time performers on stage while their parents cheered them on from the audience. It's
0: very special, especially for our young girls who are first-time performing. They do get stage fright and so it's good to have all our mums um, and dads here to support our young kids. So we like to celebrate our culture with everybody here.
4: PMN radio personality Sassanation Seta performed alongside Cook Island's champion dancer Caroline Bishop. The two led a cultural activation space, engaging attendees in the traditional dance forms of Urakuki Airani. Seta expressed gratitude for the opportunity to share Pacifica heritage. The crowd, the atmosphere, absolutely amazing. It was an absolute honour and a privilege to be celebrating Pacifica and Pacifica excellence uh, at a festival like this. Saturday's resounding success underscores the enduring vibrancy and value of Pacific Island heritage in Aotearoa. The Wellington Pacifica Festival yet again left attendees eagerly anticipating next year's event.
0: The head nurse at Rarotonga's Hospital is calling on New Zealand to help meet its staffing shortages. New Zealand's Health Minister, Dr Shen Reti, visited Rarotonga's Hospital during the Pacific mission to find out how the country could offer further support. Our reporter Alicia Foon was there and spoke with Ngā Manea, Cook Island's Chief Nurse Officer, about their greatest needs. Our main um, problem
5: is the shortage of staff. We need the number of staff to provide quality care to our people. Mm -hmm. We need the number of staff to offload the burnt out, the overload from the current workforce on ground. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, so. How many staff are you short by? um, And we need more about 20, 22. There's a lot of nurses that need to be replaced. And it's not yet replaced uh, due to some immigration requirements and due to the other country with the... Um, they have to resign from their own work and they have to have a notification period for four weeks. And then that will delay and then the proceeding of uh, procedures for them to come over, it's quite a long process too. Yes. So what impact does these staff shortages have on the people of Rarotonga? The impact is like the staff are burnt out and then reported sick leave you know, because, and the impact also is they don't have quality life with their family mm. whereby on their days off they were all called to come back and work so they don't have quality time with their, with their family and also um, increasing the um, incidences in patient management and then shortcutting cutting um, because they are all tired. Mm.
4: And the impact on people, residents, and people that might be on wait lists?
5: Uh, Do you
6: have to delay any procedures? We have to
5: delay the appointments. You know, like and pro- you know, in the community, they will expect some delays for the nurses to visit the old age. And then sometimes our postnatal mothers, there will be a delay um, to visit them. Yep. How can New Zealand
4: support? The Health Minister of New Zealand, Dr Shane Reti, is here taking a tour of the hospital yep. at the moment. What would
5: you like to see? This is your chance to ask. So I would like like New Zealand, if they have like exchange programme, you know, like if for upskilling our nurses, like um, you no know, exchange programme, like if the nurses from New Zealand can come over and then replace and then our own nurses can go over and, 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 and work. And because we refer our patients, we refer our patients to New Zealand, so just to give them a much exposure to New Zealand situation to New Zealand context, and also we'd like to see New Zealand to support um, a technical advice in terms of developing our you know review our nurses act, review our code of conduct you know, and develop some um, nursing document that will also support our nurses, that for them to realize that they are safe in terms of practicing, and they have standards in place, and their policies in place, and code of conduct, scope of scope of practice.
0: The skippers of the Pacifica teams in the Super Rugby Pacific competition say playing final footy is not impossible. Mili Derin of the Fijian Drua and James Lay from the Moana Pacifica team both believe they can be in the final eight this year as they finalize their preparations for their team's third Super Rugby Pacific season. Elisa Tora has the story.
7: Roar skipper, Derin says getting into the top four and playing a home quarterfinal game in this year's Super Rugby Pacific competition is something the Fijian Drua is focused on.
1: As a team, uh, we had our, our vows. And our aims and the target uh before we kick off to, with our precision, uh we sit together as a team and uh put up our vows and aims and targets. Our vows uh, was uh, to have a home quarter final and uh from that uh we said our aims is to be in the top four and our targets was to win this
7: con who made his debut for the Flying Fijians in the Pacific Nations Cup series last July adds his team is ready for the tough season ahead
1: the boys are preparing well for this season one of the i can say toughest and uh, but exciting uh, uh, pre-season and uh, we are looking forward for the comp to start. The team is uh, looking forward for the first rounds. Uh, we'll be playing against the Blues at uh, Fangare. It will be a tough competition between uh, the players.
7: Mona Pacifica's new captain, James Leigh expressed similar sentiments when he spoke with RNZ Pacific during the Super Rugby launch in Auckland on Wednesday. Leigh says his side can reach the top eight in the competition, but getting there, will take a lot of hard work.
2: Yeah, it was, it was a great learning curve for our team. We started pretty strong, but we had a lot of young players that are you know, getting a first taste of Super Rugby football and what it's all about and the speed and the pressure and everything like that. So it's uh, it's a great learning for them and they're only going to get stronger by doing it. So it's great for them. Meanwhile,
7: Auckland Blues captain Patrick Tipalotu says his team will have a tough campaign, including tough classes against Rua and New Zealand and Australian teams across the competition.
8: Well, we've got Fijian and up round one, so uh, they're very unpredictable and hard to play, so I think they'll be tough. And then obviously, of well, the standard New Zealand teams, Chiefs and Crusaders are quite hard to, to play, especially at home. And then uh, I think a lot of the, there's a lot of improvement through the Aussie teams, the Aussie system over there. So I think playing them over there will be quite tough.
7: Tupulotu will miss about five weeks of competition due to an injury he suffered in a preseason game in Japan two weeks ago. Brumbies captain Alan Alaalatoa, one of five players with Pacific Heritage named as captains of super rugby teams, knows most of his players will be trying to stamp their marks again with the team following their non-selection in the Wallabies 2023 rugby world cup
6: squad a lot of boys turned up this year with a lot of edge um, mainly from what happened last year in the world cup some of our experienced players in the super rugby didn't get picked for the world cup so they've turned turn, turned up with a chip on their shoulder and um, that only adds value to what we're trying to do as a club which is um, you know to go
7: one better the Fijian Drua take on the Melbourne rebels in Melbourne on Friday afternoon while Moana Pacifica will square off against the Hurricanes in Wellington in their final pre-season matches on the same afternoon.
0: Every day, over 15,000 high school students in New Zealand face the reality of putting their education on hold in order to feed their families. Students work 20 to 50, yes 50, hours of paid work a week on top of study. The New Zealand Poverty Action Group released a report this week examining the extent of the issue and it's calling for urgent support for students who they say are being robbed of their education due to financial pressure. RNZ's Checkpoint reporter Louise Tenuth spoke to students at South Auckland's Otahuhu College on working extraordinarily long and often antisocial hours. It's nearly 2pm at Auckland's Otahuhu
9: College. For most students, the end of the day is near. But for Year 13 student, River, it's just getting started. At 4pm, she'll start her shift at the local KFC and she won't finish until 10 o'clock tonight. On weekends, she stays till closing time 1am. That's about 40 hours a week on top of her schoolwork. I'm always so tired, like, I'm exhausted when I come to school, but, yeah, I want to come to school to graduate, yeah. And she's not alone. It's reported that over 15,000 students are working between 20 and 50 hours per week on top of study. Year 13 student Grace works 20 hours a week at McDonald's in Auckland Airport. When asked why they need to put in such big hours... The answer is the same for her and River.
3: In our family, we do struggle sometimes, so that motivation has helped me to um, push through work and school at the same time. My dad works, like, 12-hour
9: shifts, seven days a week. I'm just another helping hand, just because I look after my younger sister, who's a year 12 at the school, driving her places, places she needs to be, and still, like... Because Dad's always busy at work and has other things
6: to
9: <laughs> <laughs> Two years ago, Fui Fatu failed NCEA Level 1 after taking on multiple jobs, often missing days of school to work or to recover from physically demanding jobs. He recalls studying through the night after working all day.
3: So
7: there'll be days where I won't sleep. I'll just be going to my laptop and like, check the extra notes and I'll be studying, then take two hours of sleep and then repeat every. Every time. Yeah.
9: Fui Fatu says he needed to do this to ensure there was food in the family home. Since moving in with his sister, things have become a little easier.
5: We were
7: only able to afford just our rent, and we only had like a little bit of money to buy groceries, so that's, and that's when I come in, so that way I can cover groceries. But ever since I moved with my sister, I was able to find out new alternatives. And thanks to school providing free lunches, I was was able to just provide for my family.
9: Over at Aoriri College in nearby Papatoitui, Principal Leanne Webb says students are also working night shifts. We were talking to one boy the other day who who turned up to school at 10 o'clock and his shift had been 10 till 6. So he had gone home, tried to snatch a few hours sleep and then he'd come to school. She acknowledges it's not possible for students to work long hours and still function at school, but some just don't have a choice. In the end, families have to pay for the rent, they have to be able to buy food, they've got to pay for their bills. They're at school and they're trying to do this because they know
3: that they need to get good qualifications, but they're caught in a hardship bind Yeah.
9: Old Eddie College Year 13 students James and Aaron work three days a week at a logistics company. These shifts begin at four o'clock in the morning and are supposed to finish at 8 a.m., but are often longer. The long days are difficult.
6: Sometimes hard to focus, but I just try. Things were getting it was getting rough at home, so I needed to help
1: my family. Sometimes it feels bizarre. Probably rough. Just to know that I'm just going to wake up to the same day or really just try to make my family's life easier.
9: Principal Leanne Webb says the government needs to step up efforts to prevent students failing to attain high school qualifications. She would like to see the student allowance currently offered to eligible tertiary students extended to high school students. Child Poverty Action Group is trying to draw attention to this issue which has not been the subject of extensive research or government interventions. Its report points out that children over 16 are treated in household income stats as adult earners which affects their household's eligibility for working for families tax credits. Convener for the group, Alan Johnson, says children are deemed to be living above the poverty line only due to their own labour.
2: Have Two or three of your children actually contributing in, income into your house um, simply because you have to well it doesn't it makes your income look a whole lot higher
9: The group is calling for the number of hours students can work to be capped at 20 a week and to increase the minimum wage to the living wage. he says education is simply not a leveler anymore. Back at Otahuhu College Fufatu says he's grateful to be back in the classroom and not at work.
7: I really want to go into uni. And because I want to break that cycle.
0: Kiwi born opera singer Benjamin Makisi of Tongan and Samoan descent is giving back to Aotearoa after returning home from Europe. The tenor has been performing at community events around the country, hoping to make opera music accessible to all. Tiana Haxton caught up with a talented singer.
8: Oh, so
4: Benjamin Makisi's voice captivated the crowds gathered at the Wellington Pacifica Festival on Saturday afternoon. It was a significant full-circle moment for the singer who was born and bred in the capital city.
8: So to come back here and showcase to the wider community here back in Wellington, which I call home, is a blessing. It's amazing to come back and go, oh look everybody, this is what I've experienced overseas and this is what I, I now sound like.
4: Makisi said it was an honour to share a taste of opera with his hometown and he hopes to do more community outreach. He says the opera world does not seem easily accessible to many people and he wants to change that stigma.
8: People see it as if it's a rich man's music, but actually, it's accessible for everyone. To events like uh, the Pacifica Festival is a really good outreach to showcase our stuff to the people in, in our own community.
4: He emphasised this by performing a well-known Samoan song with a classical opera twist. <laughs> The performance had the crowd entranced. Some got up and danced, expressing their love for Makisi's rendition of the Samoan classic. He shared that he performed several Polynesian songs in a classical way across the UK.
8: It was always well, well respected and the well received by the audiences, uh, especially in the UK. They so much love um, Polynesian music, as they, as they say, exotic.
4: As Benjamin Makisi is now based in Auckland, he will not be touring Europe as much. However, he is looking forward to sharing his talents locally across Aotearoa.
8: I can now do events like this too and do some stuff you know, locally and nationally as well, which is really good. Um, at the moment, I'm touring around New Zealand doing concerts around for a group called Opportunity, which is great. It's so lovely to see the whole countryside, you know. Makisi will be performing with Opportunity in Ellerslie
4: and Botany this weekend to wrap up the month.
0: Rugby in the Pacific continues to go through some critical phases as World Rugby works with the region's rugby nations on mapping pathways and player development plans. Fiji and Tonga are searching for head coaches to lead their respective teams in the build-up to the 2027 Rugby World Cup in Australia, and both World Rugby and the New Zealand Rugby Union say critical decisions need to be made and steps taken to ensure the game continues to thrive and achieve the highest levels possible. Elisa Tora has the story.
7: Former Flying Fijians captain and coach Simon Lui, now World Rugby's high-performance pathway and player development manager, says while the capabilities of coaches is important, it is critical that coaches selected for island unions understand the culture and the people they will represent. For
8: me, being... From the Pacific Islands, uh, being Fijian, uh, we have very similar cultures, to Tonga, Samoa. There has to be a cultural fit. There has to be something that um, is a connection back to the people. There's a connection back to who we are, what's important to us, our why. Why why do we play for Tonga? What's important for us in the the red jersey? So I think all those aspects will be looked at when we're we're looking at a head coach. Raiwa Luis says support staff
7: are important as well adding if unions are going to ask members of the public to invest in teams, then the unions should be investing in the people as well.
8: The staff that supports that head coach is just as important. There has to be alignment. It's not just the exes over on the field, political coaches, what is important to them, what is important to the if we're gonna ask the people to invest in the team, we must invest in the people.
7: Meanwhile, Chris Landrum, New Zealand rugby's general manager, professional rugby and performance says the Zanzar unions are looking at potentially including the Flying Fijians and Japan in the Rugby Championship.
6: Yeah, we're having um, discussions currently with our Zanzar partners about the future of the rugby championship and it's certainly true that both Fiji and Japan are potential additions into the tournament at some stage in the future. I th- think it's really important uh, that both nations are ready both from a, a performance perspective as well as a financial perspective to enter that competition and that's something that we will, um, will be discussing in the coming weeks.
7: Chris Landrum says there are also ongoing discussions on merging the Super Rugby W competition in Australia with New Zealand Super Rugby, our peaky competition.
6: There's certainly a long-term plan to do that, and women's rugby is exploding in the Pacific, um, and, and so there's huge opportunity as we build both the competition, you know, the domestic competition for women's rugby in this region, uh, but also more broadly in terms of international rugby for more and more linkages directly with the Pacific Nations.
7: Mr Landrum believes the inclusion of the Penina Pacifica women's team in the Super W competition this year and the Moana Pacifica Under-20 Championship this month are new developments that will continue to boost rugby development growth in the Pacific.
0: That's Sangatsa Otimoana. Remember you can download us for free to your device from Spotify, iHeart, or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. From myself and the RD Pacific team, Talk Faso4.